0: I'm Toshi Regan. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown. Here, we just need to clarify that what you're about to hear was taped before the coronavirus pandemic and before the most recent popular uprisings against the police murder of Black people.
1: From episode seven on, we'll be talking about the book explicitly in this current context. For these first few episodes, we talked about the work in the context of all the usual mess. So be it. See
0: to it. <laughs> so be it. See to it.
1: All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is changed.
0: Hello, we are back. This is the Parables Podcast with Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi Reagan. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And we are um, at Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Toshi, can you tell us how we start?
1: Yes, Chapter 4.
0: Well, actually, we enter 2025 between Chapter true. 3 and Chapter 4. So I can read this section. Intelligence is ongoing individual adaptability. Adaptations that an intelligent species may make in a single generation, other species make over many generations of selective breeding and selective dying. Yet, intelligence is demanding. If it is misdirected, by accident or by intent, it can foster its own orgies of breeding and dying. Ursi, The Books of the Living.
1: You know, after, like, um, going to visit Octavia Butler's papers at the Huntington Library, um, it really made me understand a little bit more the depths of this work. Yeah. And how much um, exploration and detail she, you know, investigated in mind to, you know, to tell... Such an epic story, yeah, on so many levels, yeah. You know, because you really can just be reading these and like.
0: <laughs> and she, yeah, she built and built and built and built. She really did.
1: She really did.
0: Will you read us this Earthseed verse, Toshi?
1: Yes. A victim of God may, through learning adaptation, become a partner of God. A victim of God may, through forethought and planning, become a shaper of God, or a victim of God may, through short-sightedness and fear, remain God's victim, God's plaything, God's prey. Ooh. (laughs) Earthseed, the Books of the Living, and we are now Saturday, February 1st, 2025.
0: Yeah, and you know... I feel like maybe there needs to be a trigger warning for this whole podcast, <laughs> like because <laughs> um, every single episode is pretty daunting. Yeah. But in particular, this one is going to be a hard chapter. Um, so yeah, here we go. So can you tell us about what we're about to, what happens here? What happens in chapter four?
1: Well, the first thing that happens is, um, is fire. There's a fire. There's a fire inside the wall. Yeah, which and- we've
0: been expecting some fire. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's really interesting now that we're dealing with fires all the time. Yes. So, you know, they have a a pretty serious practice around fire um, because they don't have the uh, fire trucks coming to the rescue. Yeah. Um, So to put out a fire or if they do come, um, it's very expensive. They have to pay for it. That's right. So um, their practice is very, 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 very deep. And um, they have a bell. And everybody has assignments to know what they're supposed to do. Um, and this fire uh, is set by a little girl, uh, Amy Dunn. Amy Dunn. And, um, and Amy is uh, the youngest member of the Dunn's family, and they live across the street from Lauren and her family. Uh, the fire was in the garage. It's gone. And uh, young Amy, who is is neglected and nobody really in the, um, the Dunn family likes her because she is the result of her mother, Tracy being raped um, at the age of 13 by her uncle. Yep. Derek. Derek. Um, So she's there, but she doesn't really, you know, get the love that a a kid deserves. And, um, and her mom doesn't get the love that a kid deserves and right. the protection and the safety um so it is a really intense dynamic yeah. inside of that wall community
0: i feel like this is one of the the places where octavia speaks the most directly to attractiveness politics or like just the politics of charm and personality like many the politics the norms the social norms of charm and personality and, and visibility because It's like Tracy is seen as this sort of dull, homely person. And, you know, Amy is this sort of throwaway child. But Derek is like this gregarious, blonde, handsome, charming person that people really are drawn to and like. And that because of some of those qualities that they have, people overlook what's happened to these girls, um, these children. And what is happening to these children? And I feel like she doesn't dive into it too much, but it feels really important to me to notice because I feel like in each of her stories, she talks a little bit about what what attraction does and doesn't do um, in building community and building safety, or seeing like where safety gets overlooked. And you know, her brother is charming, um, her father is charming. Like there's a lot of charming men in this community, um, and. You know, It doesn't keep them safe necessarily when they go out in the streets, but this idea of what is safety and what is security in a situation where a child can be this unsafe and this overlooked and neglected, um, it stands out to me a lot. And I think that right now as we're going through this period of trying to tell the truth about the patterns of rape and sexual assault and childhood sexual abuse in our current culture, so much of what gets overlooked or so much of where people are like, what, I could never believe that of this person. He's so nice or he's so attractive. He wouldn't need to do that. And, you know, you hear these arguments come up that are like, that's not why people rape. You know, people rape for power and not for pleasure. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to put a pinpoint in that.
1: I think it's so interesting because Harriet Tubman has been really, I mean, she's always... On my mind in yes. in the best way. But yeah. you know, with uh the movie coming out and then with uh nehisis coat's yes. book. Um she's you know, she's being really waved through the air. Yeah, it's affected everything yeah. else that I'm reading. Yeah, even, even no matter what. Yeah. So it makes me think about like that that idea of safety and that yeah. idea of a violation. Yes. Um and how is it so rooted in our culture? And what is the beginnings of our real misunderstanding around violation That's right. in particular to women's bodies and to bodies of children and and the systemic ways that we don't talk about violation to men's bodies and, right. you know, like we can't really be open about that. Um, so it's 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 just so interesting now when you look at Octavia placing us in a future that we don't we don't um end those dynamics like those dynamics in fact feel like they get stronger and stronger and stronger right. so that that's
0: yeah i mean in in a lot of ways, to me, this chapter there's you know people talk about science fiction as answering one of three questions right. Um, and it, this one is that if this goes on, right? Yeah. Like if we do not intervene on this and it continues, then this is where we end up. Yeah. So what else happens here? We Amy get, lights the garage on fire. She
1: lights the garage on fire. Um, Mrs. Sims relatives come Yeah. and they um, take over her house. And, um, one in particular, Wendell Parish, they are, they are, you know, from the Mrs. Sims uh tree of kindness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they think everybody kindness. stole something. They they mad at everybody. Yeah. Um stingy. They yeah. And then um they go they go to practice um shooting. Yes. Um, and this is a, you know, range practice. Range practice and they, it's a big group of people and um this is like a situation where they're you know it feels like they travel a distance yeah to get someplace where they can shoot safely yeah so that they don't don't hurt anyone
0: and don't attract anything and
1: don't attract anything but mm-hmm. it also um it, it it doesn't really work out mm-hmm. like you know i think they learn that this is like the end of where it felt like they had done that before that's right. And when they did it before, like it worked out, but this time they're kind of surrounded by, you know, multiple situations that, um, trigger like an ease in the group and, um, especially where it comes to dogs and animals. Yeah. And in this chapter, Lauren is trying to see like how, she, what she can withstand that's right. What what she can stand with her withstand with her hyper empathy, so while she causes harm, yeah, if, if she, she has causes, to shoot somebody, yeah. what could she do it, you know? Um, and so she kind of practices on like small animals yeah. to see what that would be like, and and she gets through it. Just, it's like kind of a cloud feeling, yeah. you know, something like that. But uh, later on. It just becomes a, a really rough situation, yeah. And um, and as they're trying to uh, get back, you know, they have to deal with some dogs, and that is where she really first feels her big impact of something dying. That's right. And so that's a, a pretty significant moment for her.
0: Um, I also think this piece. I was just writing, jotting down a question, but. We get introduced to Richard Moss, um, who is many, many things. Um, <laughs> and um, But one of them is, you know, he strikes me as kind of the Hotep presence <laughs> in the book. Um, she doesn't know, use the word Hotep. She does like She doesn't. Um, but she um, says he's like the combination of the Old Testament and like West African religion and that kind of po- hodgepodge together, like I can have all the women. And everyone kind of worships at me. Um, so I, I just want to name that that's part of the group that they're rolling to this with and starting yeah. to pay attention to. And she's starting to pay attention to like who has what belief systems, what do we believe. Um, but I think there's, there's a piece around safety that I want to name in here, which is like I think that people are able to get away with that. Like, oh, I'll just make everybody part of my harem, a part of my, you know, my little grouping, my, I'll create my own religion to create a space for my own safety. I think it's still a function of the safety and protection. Um, and that, that piece to me always stood out that I'm like, oh, and then there's families like that where you're just like, I know this stuff ain't right. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of horrific behavior and they're not even trying to act accountable to an existing church
1: no they they not at all and, and you also-
0: know the giving polygamy a bad name you know like yeah, because like, i think that like po- you know i think polyamory you know there's so many places in octavia's work both here and in lilas brood and other places where she talks about polyamory and like multiple loves and and structures of love and i think she sets up against these these methods where it's like patriarchal authoritarian um, situations in which you're getting to access some kind of safety in exchange for being one of many women that belong to someone.
1: Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would love to hear you speak a little bit here about practice because this piece around like the practices that they're in around these children, because we also learned that her stepmom is a teacher here and is going to take um, this little child on as someone that she's going to teach. And so it's like, oh, she's in a practice of learning and teaching that she supports Corey sometimes as a learner and a teacher. She's in a practice of going to learn how to shoot stuff. And you said something about you're as safe as your practice. Um, I'd love to hear you just riff on that a bit more.
1: Yeah. I mean, anything can happen at any time. So, Mm -hmm. But I do think that, you know, I I sometimes like go in a circle with, with this book and I'm like, I used to think, oh, she's preparing us for. The, this and then I was like, no, she's she's preparing us to not have this exactly. And so, like one thing, it doesn't
0: have to be like this. It doesn't have
1: to be like this. So one thing that you really get to witness is, you know, this this uh, young girl's like willingness to be engaged with all the elements around her. Like yeah. she knows how to cook. Yeah. You know, she is she knows how to. Um, to teach she is fluent in you know the language of the bible she's fluent she speaks spanish like she goes and learns how to um how to to shoot the weapon that are that she's of the age where you can go and and learn how to do that she she keeps her eye on everything happening i mean you know they have a garden yes you know so there's there is like Everything that's around her, that's a part of her um, being. She actually learns that's what right. it is. Um, and I don't know. There's like, you know, no cell phones, no Netflix, no. Um, there's no like coming and going. Yeah. So she's um, taking advantage of the circumstances and saying, "Well, how much can I can I get in, inside of these walls?" That's right. You know, and and that's up to this point. Right. Like, so she's in a That's right. a learning process. Exactly. You know, and um, and she's figuring out, like, what are her steps to take? And sometimes her steps are like, well, this little girl is walking around here and nobody likes her. So I'm going to give her attention. Exactly. You know,
0: and she's learning. I think she's learning so much about training her own attention. So in that period of time at the shooting range, it's like, I'm going to test this I'm going to bring my attention to this and see what I can handle. Oh, and I feel like she's bringing her attention inside of herself too. Like when my bullet hits this dog, you know, I feel this and it makes me want to collapse. Mm. That's good to know. That's good data. Like there's a way that she's constantly like accumulating the data that she needs for her survival, but also training. Like how do I move my attention if I can't handle what it is to witness something? How do I shoot and turn away, <laughs> right? Yes. From what follows or what am I gonna have to do with my attention in order to be as safe as possible. And that level of it feels like a hyper vigilance that mm. goes along with her hyper empathy. And it's something that I feel like I'm always warning against in, in you know, I'm like that hypervigilance is not necessarily going to keep you safe, you know, thinking and worrying about the worst case scenario of everything. And there is a right level of attention to bring to your circumstances. And I feel like she's learning that and in learning that, teaching us, like, what are we paying attention to? How are we training our attention? How are we not wasting our attention? All those things you said, they don't have access to phones and the internet and all this stuff. And that means in some ways they don't have access to the ease of wasting attention that we currently have all the attention has to be brought over and over again to survival. And without necessarily, you know, I think that the the fascinating part of this is always to me, without the pleasure to drive a compelling life, it's like life is terror. Life is mostly terror, misery, fear, running from one place to another and surviving. And yet there's still something so compelling that people are like, I want to bring my attention to how to stay alive. Um, and she's training her attention in that way while I think creating Something inside of herself that will make it compelling to stay alive for, like she's giving herself that which we'll get to as she <laughs> continues to get there, but
1: yeah, and I, I I mean, I think also it's like you can already tell like her intention is to live, yeah, and she's surrounded by examples of of dying and surrender. you know, she lives behind a wall because you know she knows what's going on outside is 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 just like an abundance of pain. And violence. And she
0: calmly assesses. Yes. Right? Like she, you know, I remember that even back in chapter two when, we, when she first goes and she's like, oh, maybe that woman was raped so much she can't, you know, focus. Yeah. But the tone is so like mundane. Yeah. And even in this, the shooting practice, it's one of the things that Curtis notices is how impressive it is that she's so calm. Like she's just, I am studying and learning. I'm not necessarily becoming emotional about this stuff. I can't afford that.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I'm always like, why does she do this hyper empathy thing? But yes. it is to really, you know, demonstrate that, you know, the way that we feel, I think mm-hmm. our, our um, emotional responses to issues can take us out of our practices. Oh, yes. You know, and so. I mean,
0: this is, who this is like. So, you know, i I mentioned back in episode one, like facilitation is like the name of my game. Mm. And what I have seen in our movement spaces, particularly in the past five years or so, has been this growing um fragility that looks like empathy initially. Mm. Um, but it 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 becomes this like extreme fragility. Where everything that happens, we're feeling it, we're all collectively feeling it in a way that is debilitating. And so I've been in meetings where people are like, we have to stop this meeting now because this just happened. We have to stop doing this. And, but I'm like, so many, th- we're hearing about so many things happening that if we have that level of the only response is to stop and not be able to continue anything and feel, then we will not get anywhere. Right, And so trying, I feel like so much of what Octavia is guiding us in here is, it's not wrong to feel. It's not that we don't feel. It's not that we don't feel it as if it's happening to us. All of that is real. All of that is there. And we have to train ourselves, teach ourselves, how do we be in right relationship with what we're feeling? How do we shape and partner with what we're feeling? So that continuing on, so that survival is a possibility.
1: yes. Yes. Yes, yes, I've been in some of those rooms too.
0: Have you? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I have.
0: It's deep, it's so it's so hard because I'm like, you know, I sometimes in those rooms will feel like I am, I'm walking my own line, right? Yeah. Like I've been in rooms, I remember being in a room where I was facilitating a mostly white group of people when the ruling came down and found Phil- Philando Castile's murder and I felt like, oh, this room is not feeling it enough. Mm. Right. Like it's, we need more time than this room wants to give to it. And then being in other rooms where other stuff happened, where I was like, and now we are, we are giving it so much that we are no longer being accountable to the movement that is trying to stop this thing from being possible anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And that to me feels like a crucial distinction that it's not, Oh, we just go on about life towards any goal. Right. But it is important that I'm like, if we are on a path that is about liberation, it's really important that we continue walking that path and that we figure out how to alchemize these harmful things that happen into fuel and into lesson that help us figure out how to keep continue moving towards that liberation. And I feel like that's the devastating heartbreaking part. Like I'm not sure how we do it all the time. I know that there's some balance between the stopping and feeling, Mm -hmm. learning what it is to feel. I mean, for me, I, this is the main reason I use my altar work is, I come back to my altar and I sit and, you know, it's my version of handing it over to something larger than myself. But I'm like, I'm going to feel this and take time for it, but I'm going to do it in a sacred ritualized way, not just anytime, any place, because anytime, any place is not necessarily a safe place to be feeling all the emotions.
1: That is so powerful and helpful. One thing about doing the opera is, you know, trying in these like, our right now bodies to manifest what it would feel like to be constantly inside of a wall, constantly with the same people and constantly like trying to protect yourself and have vigilance against a force that's like slowly, you know, poking holes in your, um, you know. And then the contrast with, well, what how do you um sleep outdoors all the time right. and walk right. and you know Oof. um have a consciousness around water where you don't know when you'll see will you any next yeah
0: where you have the next store will where you, will you have, have the next anything
1: yeah so it's <laughs> it's a, it's a challenge to really embody um that level of tension and stress um especially when we're just getting woke yeah. to, like, actually, you know, having to battle for your life all the time deserves some attention and release, you know? Because I think about my parents in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they had, like, a healing justice practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, right. they were frontline warriors. And, you know, later on, yeah. you know, m- many years later, there's this idea of, like, We'll talk about your experiences and and say what was hurtful or say what didn't work for you or you know but like in the process of it I don't think they got um, much attention at all.
0: No I mean I'm blown away by how almost any generation before the one that I'm a part of um, how much was stored within. The norm was like tuck it in. I also want to highlight in this section that the, the process that happens with her and the shooting the dog you know putting the dog out of its misery and having the experience of that. Mm. It does feel like she's doing a pre-shadowing. Octavia is giving us a pre-shadowing of like, Lauren is learning to do something that she's going to need to be good at, like being able to make the call around life and death, which I feel is maybe at least on par with any other survival skill is being able to make that determination in real time about The value of your own life, the value of the lives around you. What is misery? What is life? You know, like what is worth fighting for? What is worth risking for? And this is the beginning of this in Lauren, that we see this in Lauren of like, oh, I've got to know that dog is in misery. I'm going to put it out of its misery. It's not kinder to leave it there to slowly die in pain. And how that Two, that kind of awareness and reckoning is also a skill set and a necessary leadership quality in this context.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so, let's see. I have some questions for this. Um, one is, you know, going back to thinking about aura, moss, um, and thinking about this this child, right? Her safety, her lack of safety, her danger, the danger that, you know, her mother was in as a 13 year old being raped by this uncle, that there's always people who are not safe. And, you know, as we were talking about this part, it made me think of that story from Ursula Le Guin about the ones who walk away from Omelas where there's a whole utopian society that's only able to exist because there's a child locked in a basement, kept dirty and in squalid conditions and hungry. And their suffering is what basically pays the cost for everyone else to have their, their, um, exquisite utopian bare, back horseback riding thing. So, the question I want to ask and have people sit with is who is actually insecure and unsafe in your current community conditions, especially if you generally feel safe there. Right. So if you're like, I'm, you know, like right now I'm sitting in my home, I'm not cowering in my home. I don't have all the curtains pulled because I don't feel safe for people to like look in or see me. You know, um, I feel like I can walk out of this home and walk to my car and I would be relatively safe in that journey. Relatively but safe. Right. And so I think asking people to ask themselves that, um, and get in more communication and right relationship with who is actually not safe. There's a question I have that sparks from that Richard Moss piece, which is, you know, who are the potentially false prophets or the misguiding, misleading beliefs that are proliferating in our communities? Um, And especially the ones that we maybe feel like, oh, I can laugh that off. But then there's a lot of our people who are not laughing them off. And those might be people we end up in the apocalypse with. So I'm like, oh, what's happening out there? You know, the conspiracy theories, the Umars, whatever it is, right? And then, um, ooh, this is a good one that's coming in from Kat. What is dominance that's masquerading as righteousness? in Mm. our communities right now. Where is that showing up? Oof. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last question, I think out of this gun practice is what are you prepared to do for your safety? And what are the ways in, in real time, current time that you can test and assess for that in your current circumstances? Mm -hmm.
1: That's really good.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, so that is our chapter four.
1: As she says at the end, pow.
0: Pow. There's a new world coming.
1: Everything gonna be turning over. Everything gonna be turning over. Where you gonna be standing when it comes? There's a new world coming. Everything gonna
0: Thank you for listening to our show. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron.
1: Music for Octavia's Parables podcast. Always see the stars written and performed by Toshi Regan. There's a new world coming performed by the cast and musicians of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the Opera, lead vocalist Shayna Smalls, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, both based on the novel Parable of the
0: Sower by Octavia E. Butler. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. You can find us on Twitter at oparables, and sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash oparables. Please share this podcast with anyone you think it would be useful for. So be it, see to it.